At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is Off Track with Inch and Rossi. Wait, is this thing on? Yes. Oh, hi, everybody. (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. If you are listening to this, chances are you have downloaded an episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi onto some kind of mobile device or listening through a computer, whether you get it from CastBox, the app or the website, castbox.fm. We think it's the best. Or anywhere that you get and subscribe to podcasts. We're just glad that you're here to listen. We're so glad we're here. To we're another here. episode. We're also here. We're, we're also here. We're all here. We're glad It's a we're big, here. happy family. Yeah. This is Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I'm James Hinchcliffe. I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're here at the Compound in California, where we've conducted a series of interviews. We have conducted multiple interviews in a row. Do you know what's, you know what's a little bit devastating? Your face? You know what else? Sick burn. You know what else? Producer Thim on the ones and twos over here. Yep. Uh, what else is very devastating? Because everybody knows that. Uh, that's why if you look at the uh, cover art for Off Track with Hinch and Rossi, our faces are covered primarily. It's really just our eyes that are showing. Which, I gotta say, they're pretty beautiful. No, your, your eyebrow raise in the art is, is like pretty, I like it. It's Thank pretty you. awesome. Thank you. It's my new profile pick. As it should be. Yeah. It a really, cartooned, better version, half of me. It really encapsulates yeah. all your best features. Yeah. When we have the, the autograph cards for IndyCar, I should use that picture instead. I'm going to use that from now on. Yeah. I'm going to use half, the upper half of my face. It makes I, way I more get, sense. I should get those like printed off like hero cards so you guys can sign those for guests. At, at least stickers. I'm really yeah. surprised that Thim right there wasn't just like, why don't I have a hero card? <laughs> why <laughs> isn't my face on the Why thing? don't I have something no, I, to sign? But I do, though. I, I print I print off five hundred of them. It's actually just it's it's Alexander's body with my face crudely <laughs> pasted on there. That makes sense. That it sounds done all right. Yeah, absolute wonders for me on Tinder. So the other <laughs> thing, the other thing that is devastating, apart from our collective faces here on Off Track, is that we came to California uh, to do some uh, do some work with with the show for the show, interview people, and we have this beautiful compound that we we're recording from. And I'm sitting here, Alex, and I'm glancing out the window to a beautiful pool, green garden, grass, yeah. garden, sunshine. Outdoor television. And we are inside, and I'm looking at you and Thim. Yeah, that sucks. Like, it's, uh, I, I mean, my view is, you know, the kitchen and the door, so I'm not as... Yeah, you're not as tortured as I absolutely am. Absolutely not, no. But this is what we do for, this is the work we put you know in. What? We are so committed to our listeners. It's the sacrifices. The, and just the continual, relentless push yes. for greatness yes. in podcasting. Speaking of greatness, we have another, another special guest. I, I'm, 
I'm never going to tire of saying special guests, and I and I don't want our guests to think that any of them are less special or that we don't mean it when we say it. But the, the no, fact but of the matter is, we've been very lucky. We have been so fortunate, especially as a new podcast, to be able to get the type of people that we have, people who are so ultra successful in their respective fields, people who have broken the mold and really created a life and a career for themselves what off track is all about and has always been about is exceptional people is people that reached a level in their craft or their industry or their chosen profession that is the top of the top something that we can relate to doing what we do and we love hearing the stories and meeting the people behind these stories and a great example of that is a childhood hero of mine quite seriously i'm a big fan of movies and TV. I'm a big comedy guy. And growing up in Canada in the 80s and 90s, if you liked comedy, you knew kids in the hall. You probably did. Growing up in the 90s, not the 80s, in America, in Northern California, definitely didn't know kids in the hall. That said... We want to introduce you to... (laughs) Mr. Dave (laughs) Dave Foley. Who was, from what I learned, you know, had his moments of being kind of funny. (laughs) <laughs> that is a way of putting it. That is certainly a way of putting it. Kids in the Hall was a was a sketch comedy troupe in Canada in the 80s and 90s that really kind of changed the game, I think, for a lot of comedians, certainly for the five guys in the group. Uh, he went on to sitcom success in Canada and the U.S., including a show with my girlfriend Becky Dalton spun out up in Canada. But you'll hear all about that and what Becky was like on set. Oh, boy. When we talk to Dave. But before we get to Mr. Foley... Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing and highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot because, well, we think it's the best. Hey everyone, welcome back to Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. I am not James Hinchcliffe. I am definitely not Alexander Rossi. You bet your ass. No, I'm, I'm super thankful about that. <laughs> and uh, today we're joined by a very special guest, a, Canadian, a fellow Canadian, yes. for James, Canadian comedian, actor Dave Foley. Thanks and for being here. Thank you, and I'm proud to be both James and Alex. that's actually why we needed you here because this is a show with james and alex and neither one of them apparently let me tell you something yeah no one wants to be thin (laughs) that's no i don't even want to be me here no (laughs) no it just sounds (laughs) awful uh dave thanks so much for joining us oh thanks for having me it's uh it's very cool i mean you know alex doesn't get uh didn't have the 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 joyous honor honor of growing up in canada Oh, and, oh, I didn't uh, you know where you were going with that. I wouldn't have said that word. No, that's mm. what you meant. That's no. That's that sounds accurate. I thought we were talking yeah. about your. So didn't didn't get to enjoy some of the works uh, that I I certainly did as a kid. You know, you, my brother and me were huge fans of yours growing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then fast forward a couple of years, I'm going to go straight to this story. You actually worked uh, on a show with my girlfriend Becky Dalton. Yes, she wasn't your girlfriend at the time. She was not. No, no. I waited till she made it. That's when I was like, yeah. "All right, time yeah. to get her back on the radar." She had a oh, she had a much lesser boyfriend. Uh, we all, I mean, we were all <laughs> nice but way, to him. way taller, right. nice. taller, taller, yeah. taller, more tan. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Everything, yeah. everything in her past really was lesser. Um, <laughs> 
We all, we all, she, well, that she has, that Becky blossomed. There you go. There you go. She, finally. Under, she under your finally, tutelage, yeah. she, it, uh, it, she, she blossomed. It yeah. is worth noting that she is in the room right yeah. now. <laughs> really? It's hard to tell. She really, she doesn't make much of an, of an impression yet. Yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. I agree. Yeah, she walks into an empty room and fits right in. Um, oh, darling, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What was Becky like to work with? Uh, an absolute dream. I'll have yeah, to say. But like, what, Becky, get, Becky, just, yeah, yeah, you can, she, she you can just, just Becky, and, Becky, and Becky, I have to say, I said uh, from, from very early on in the show, I, I immediately thought Becky was like one of the most comedically talented people I've, naturally comedically talented people I'd ever seen. And who was do, would do bits. Would Where do, did she go? <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Yeah, she, I mean, she, we'd be doing uh, scenes that had so many problems in them. But Becky would be in her performance throwing in things that would remind me of like young Mary Tyler Moore, you know, and, and Carol Burnett and like just these amazing uh, women of comedy and just like instinctively. Okay, so um, you, you've, I mean, man, the, the, the list of, of successes and accolades is long and plentiful, but let's start from the beginning. Well, the, the failures are longer if you want to fill time. <laughs> But I mean, that's I'm, every I'm, success story, I'm into though. That. Every yeah. success story. For every one success, there's a hundred failures. That's yeah. how it works, right? Yes. But how, so, so how did it start? I mean, so Kids in the Hall but was kind of... My failures all came after my successes. <laughs> it wasn't like I built up to success. So you peaked you pretty early. You definitely like, did it backwards. Bang, bang, success. And then just, oh, <laughs> oh. That's, that, does, just, uh, that doesn't just it's stay the Orson, Orson Welles method. Oh, yeah. Start off with Citizen Kane and then just... Yeah, and yes. then spend the rest of your yeah. career with people avoiding eye contact. But you still had to get there in the first yeah, place. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's the good news, right? That's true. So, it's, so it kind of started with Kids in the Hall. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure that's not where it started started. It really mostly did. I mean, other than... <laughs> well, other than, I'll, I'll, I'll just let myself out. It that's, did. Other than like a brief stint of doing stand-up as a teenager. Um, uh, started out with... Pretty much with meeting Kevin McDonald and forming the the original Kids in the Hall, and then and been you know really working with those guys one way or another for thirty five years. Did you meet Kevin doing stand like on the stand up? No, I met him at a Second City workshop. Okay, I took went to take Second City workshops thinking it would help with my stand up. Right, because I had read in my studies that Lenny Bruce did a lot of improv. Uh, so I went and in my very first class, I got paired up with Kevin to do some exercises and then he made me laugh in all the scenes he did. And by the end of that class, uh, we decided to work together. So that was, yeah. Very serendipitous. Yeah, it was completely. And, uh, and what was the goal at that time? The goal at that time, uh, was just, uh, well, was really, at first it was just to try to get hired on the second city touring company. Um, which was which never was going to happen. Uh, <laughs> why, why, why do you say that? We we weren't there. Still. We actually did wind up in a second city touring company after the Kids in the Hall had become sort of famous in Toronto. And when uh, Mark, Mark and Bruce from the Kids in the Hall got hired as writers on SNL. And so for a year they were gone. And while they were gone, Kevin and Scott and I all wound up in the second city touring company uh, just because we were already kind of famous. Right. And they hated us. <laughs> they, we used to go out, we'd go on the road and we'd, we'd get all these great reviews on the road. And then we'd come back and we'd do these Sunday matinees in Toronto. And after every Sunday matinee, we'd get called up to the office and yelled at. For uh, what? what? For, for not being like, sec, for not being professional like Second City. Uh, <laughs> you know, we weren't respectful of the theater. But and, that's, that's not funny. 
No. I mean, no, that was. You don't, you don't want to be super respectful when you're a comedian. That's not usually how you get the laughs. No, but the, yeah, they, uh, they, they'd become more of a, of, of a, of a lobster restaurant than a comedy. Got establishment <laughs> at the time. Their business model had yeah, adjusted. it had changed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was more about much more about the lobster. Sure, and uh, and they didn't really like the way Kevin and I were selling lobsters. <laughs> so, so actually, in the middle of being yelled at one day, Kevin just stood up and said, "Well, I think Dave and I quit." And I sort of I was still sitting, and I looked up at him and said, "Well, I guess we quit." <laughs> do we? Is that yeah. uh, is yeah. that what you think we do? Yeah. So we that's how we quit Second City. Well, that, I mean, that shows a fair amount of trust in each other. That uh, he said we quit without discussing you and with yeah. you, and, and you said, "Yeah, okay, I guess that's the path we're on now." <laughs> that's, what, that's what we're doing. That's yeah. kind of happening. Kind of, kind of yeah. how this podcast came about. It's like <laughs> that's kind of how and it you happened. were like, "We are doing this podcast." Yep. What? Cool. <laughs> And here we are. Sorry about that. So growing up, or not growing up, but rather coming up through, coming up. through, through the ranks. I mean, maybe you're still yeah. growing up. Well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, so who are the big like names that you looked up to? Like people like like Lenny Bruce was very important to me, but people like Bob Newhart and uh, and Shelley Berman and uh, Dick Gregory, and then you know, or for people like Carol Burnett was huge when I was a kid growing up. Yeah. Monty Python. Yeah. Yep. Uh, who else? Everybody. Frank Zappa was a huge influence. And was really? this something that yeah. you wanted to do for a long time? Nope. Okay. I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> it was weird. I had I just always I'd always been funny, but I never really thought about making a living at it until a friend of mine in high school sort of just one day on the bus uh, went, "You should do stand up," and I went, "Oh, okay," and so I started. And it went pretty well. And then it just kind of, I just sort of stumbled into everything I've done since then. Were you a good student? No, not, no. no. I was, well, I was in the earlier grades. I was good up until high school because uh, I was really good at, at covering up the fact that I was a terrible student. Right. <laughs> uh, it gets was, harder the further in yeah, education you go. Yeah, because I was, I was getting A's in most things and I was always getting tested above my grade level. And then when I got to high school, um, really started falling apart. And it wasn't until after I dropped out of high school that I realized I was uh, fairly severely dyslexic. Wow. That would make it challenging. Yeah. But I was able to like fake my way through school up until high school. So, so up until you dropped out of high school, I mean, you know, cause that's about the age where they start telling you, you have to start thinking about what you want to do in university, what you want to do for a living, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Had you had any thoughts about what I kept thinking, do? what can I do that doesn't involve reading fast? Right. Um, and uh, uh, there were very few job descriptions that started with, can you read really slowly? <laughs> uh, that, so you said that wasn't a prerequisite for a lot of classes no, at uh, yeah. different schools. So, so I didn't know what. So then I thought, well, writing, uh, I think I could be a writer as long as I don't have to read what I wrote, <laughs> uh, which is literally the thing. I would like to write. I liked writing, but I hated having to, have, I hated having to go back and read it mm. in order to rewrite. Yeah, you're not going to be an editor. That made me crazy. Yeah. So, I, so mean, I wrote a lot of first drafts. You, <laughs> you did kind of become a writer, so that... I did, That yeah. works. I'm, I mean, that yeah. kind of worked to your advantage. And still am. Yeah, but I still hate reading what I've written to this day. But, I mean, you got people for that now, so it's That's fine. That's true. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. So, when you guys formed Kids in the Hall, was it... You, you, you said that Monty Python was kind of one of your inspirations. Yeah. So, like, well, I guess when you got into comedy, yeah. did you... And SCTV was a huge thing. For too. sure. For yeah. sure. Another Canadian one. You won't know yeah. that one. Uh, but... But you know everyone that was in it, I promise you. You for know sure. everyone from SCTV. Yeah. Was, was doing a troupe, was doing that kind of style... 
appealing at first, or would would do? Did you want to just kind of do the solo route, or did you care? I originally, I think I thought I was too egotistical to work with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when I met Kevin and started working with uh, Kevin and Luch Kazmiri, who was the the third of the original Kids in the Hall, I realized it was a lot more fun than doing stand up. That uh, I liked, I liked having actual conversations on stage as opposed to the pretend conversation you have when you're doing stand up, where you talk like you're asking the audience questions. But if they answer, you get mad. Uh, so, so I found, yeah, it was more fun. And the kind of comedy I like doing came out better. It came out of uh, conversations and interactions and just telling jokes. Did it occur to you that it could be something that amounted to being a very popular? Not at first. Not at first. I, I think once, once the Kids in the Hall became like a cult thing in Toronto, like once our show started, our live shows at, on Queen Street started selling out, and we used to have these lineups around the block, and we were getting written up in newspapers and things. Then we started going, oh, this maybe this is serious. And then when we got you know, scouted for Saturday Night Live, we started going, oh, okay, maybe we could make a living at this. And we still didn't know, that we, you know what we would do as a group until eventually Lorne Michaels came up. And Did he just come up to you with after a show and say... He, came up, he, came up, he made plans to come up to Toronto to see a show. Oh. And so it was after... So that after, was a pretty good clue that what you were doing was right. Yeah. It was after Mark and Bruce had been writing on SNL for a year. But we'd already started having like people like Marty Short and Catherine O'Hara and Dave Thomas uh, were all coming down to our shows and, you know, and hanging out with us, and we, which we thought was pretty amazing. And Marty uh, and Catherine were like calling Lauren all, that, all year and saying, you got to come up and see the troupe together. So you, did you know he was coming that day? Yeah, we had we had about a, about several weeks advance notice. So, is, is does that make it better or worse? Uh, for us, it was fun. I mean, the the weird thing was that the entire city knew Lauren was coming up to see us, and that he was going to come up and see one of our regular uh, Monday night shows right. at the Rivoli. And so we everyone uh, in town was all excited, and, and people were trying to people started putting up shows in restaurants around the club. <laughs> and trying to get, hoping Lauren would come over and see them too. And in fact, one person in the middle of the show we were doing for Lauren, uh, somebody came, somebody ran up onto our stage and stood on her head and started reciting a poem about how Lauren Becky. should go over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are other ways. Yeah. Goodness. So someone actually ran up in the middle of your show just trying to get Lauren's attention. Yeah, and Scott, the improviser, uh, quickly ad-libbed, get the f- off our stage <laughs> and knocked her over <laughs> and, and yeah you know it was a weird show because we didn't we did a lot of like new material and stuff because we were idiots <laughs> and uh we were you know we were kind of like it was almost like we were testing Lauren. yeah <laughs> you know can you can you sit through all this stuff so he sees it it goes well he and... liked what he saw and there was about a week i think where he was trying to make up his mind about what to do with us and so we were all just nervously waiting to see what his decision was going to be. And, uh, and then he decided not to take any of us to Saturday Night Live and instead to try and sell a Kids in the Hall project somewhere, which led to him flying us all down to New York for six months to do shows in New York and do showcases. And uh, eventually HBO came on board. And then uh, after that, CBC came in as the co-producer. About two years later, we had a series. And is it hard to, I mean, I guess it's your profession, right? But, I mean, to continually by yourselves come up with 
content oh it's very five years (laughs) it's exhausting yeah well especially because the first year and a half we did just the five of us wrote everything and because we we were we kind of stubbornly thought we wanted to be like python and not have any writers but then after a year and a half and we worked for uh like the first season we worked for 13 months straight without a break and we thought, that's too long, because that doesn't fit a year. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then we realized, oh, right, Python only did 12 episodes in a season, and we were doing 22. Oh, wow. So then we thought, well, all right, let's bring in some friends to help us out. So we brought in people that had been in a larger versions of uh, the two groups that formed the, the Kids in the Hall. So Kids in the Hall goes for five years or in 65 months, if you're doing 13 years yeah. 13 months I wasn't a year. really good at math yeah. either. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's right. Yeah. So anyways. You, you said it with conviction. I'm, I'm some some it. amount of months. So you, you do that, and then you have news radio. I mean, what was that transition like, going from... It was a lot more money. Okay. That was <laughs> so that's a positive. It was a lot more money for a lot less work. That seems like amazing. a win. Good that's deal. Yeah. yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and people saw it. <laughs> I mean, not a lot of people, but compared to the kids in the hall, it was a lot of people. Um, it's just, it's, that's just, it's just funny to me because I don't know if it's just where, like, the group I grew up in or whatever, but, like, kids in the hall was huge to me. It, I, it was very important to people, but, and people think we were a hit in Canada. Like, Americans, too. I always say, you guys must have been huge in Canada. And I go, no, not really. Like, like uh, as Canadians, you'll understand this reference. We never did the same numbers as the Air Force did. Really? Yeah. Royal Canadian Air Force, way, way more popular than we ever were that, on, that, on CBC. That just blows me away. Wait, there's something called Royal Canadian Air Force? Yeah, and it's just that good. <laughs> <laughs> the, they, name, the name is a fair representation. <laughs> wow. That's... Uh, I'm glad to be American right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we turned out some pretty bad stuff, too. Yeah. Let's, do we want to talk about Sharknado now, or should we do it later? <laughs> so, yeah. So, now you're doing less work, making more money. People are actually seeing it. Yeah. Life's I, great. I, don't, I never had to wear fake tits under fluorescent lighting at a fitting. Uh, so, so, is... so, sorry. So, we stepped back then. So, it's yeah. actually not as good as it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, um, yeah and, it was, and it was... But, again, the similarities were that it was... I was working with an incredible staff of writers and an amazing uh, ensemble cast. So that was very familiar from Kids in the Hall. But your content shifted quite a bit. The content, yeah, but it, but it was still doing something kind of weird and outside of the okay. normal, like what normal sitcoms were at the time. Even though it was network. And everything. It was network, but um, the, one of the reasons we weren't a hit was that uh, it, was not, it was kind of a weird show. Sure. And... Uh, because at that time, uh, NBC had discovered a new, a new thing that you can do. They found that if you hired sexy people to do comedy, you could make a lot more money. And they were all really good, too, which just made me really angry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember going, okay, now, if, if Schwimmer's now what nerds look like, then comedy's just over. <laughs> <laughs> Was it hard kind of stepping stepping back in a sense and having less input in in the final product a little bit i mean it was hard to you know at first, well it wasn't really because they I, they gave me a lot of input they let me have a lot of okay. input. they let all of us the, all in the cast there, there was really no like most sitcoms there's a real barrier between the writers and the cast uh but on news radio there was like just no wall at all it was like a complete meshing of the two sides who's the coolest cameo Who's a guest star that came on news radio? News radio? John Ritter was one of my favorites. Right. 
and he, he actually we went on to become uh, pretty good friends over the years um, because I loved I loved John. He's like just one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. Uh, so that was pretty cool. You know, you, you read interviews and you and you hear from people uh, on uh, the cast of SNL, and it seems to be pretty widely agreed that Phil Hartman was one of the coolest people to work with. And you got the chance, obviously, to do that to work with him. What was yeah. what was working with him like? He he just kind of seemed like that that special kind of character that everybody could gravitate towards. It was great. I mean, it was weird because I'd met Phil like a year before News Radio, and we'd sat and I think we'd had we sat and had dinner at the at the Emmys. I think it was when we talked, and uh, and we talked about it would be fun to do something. And I assumed it was just normal showbiz bullshit talk. Uh, so then when Paul Sims told me he was trying to get Phil to be in the show, I. That's never going to happen. But when he actually agreed to it, it was great. I mean, to to get to sit across the, uh, especially like every Monday morning, you'd sit across the table for the read through and you'd first look at the script, and I'd get to watch Phil Hartman, you know, play this amazing character every single Monday, and be hilarious from the first read through, and it was always that thing where you you know you go okay I've really I've really got to I've got to show up. And and try to try to stay in these scenes, uh, you know, because you can easily get blown out of a scene by Phil. And he was just he was just he was an odd guy and a really lovely guy, uh, like all comedians. He was not a normal person, <laughs> you know. So was it? I mean, you're obviously kind of working together, but I mean, what's the competition? I mean, there's got to be some competitive. Oh, there's tremendous competition. And, and how does that work in terms of your relationships that you also have? I mean, well, is it? It's, well, it's sort of a competition, but you also you don't you want the other guy to stay in it, right? Like when you're doing a scene, you want to be going you want to be going at at your top your top speed, and you want to be doing everything you know as well as you can, and you want everyone else to be you know going at the same speed. You want to be the best, but just by a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got it. And you know, and when you're with Phil, who had just perfect timing. I'm not a guy who breaks a lot in scenes, but with Phil, it was hard really? not to laugh. Yeah. Because it's just his timing was that great, uh, and or some just to want to applaud. Right. Because I'm a huge <laughs> fan of like perfect timing, which Phil had. And it was like you know Kevin McDonald and I used to always talk about how Phil you know would always come back with a full harvest. You know that uh, you know how, however many laughs were possible in a scene, Phil would get them all. Right. He wouldn't miss one. Yeah. You know, and he had a, he had a trim, and he was very different, like from the way I do things, because he was very. Uh, scientific about it in a way. He was. You ever see the the SNL sketches like Anal Retentive Chef? Yeah, yeah. That's Phil. That's sketches about Phil. Because <laughs> he would like he would we we would get a script on money and after reading through it he would break down the whole script. He'd already given a perfect performance, but then he would break it all down. Uh, had different color coded underlinings for different words that were that indicated emphasis that only he understood. No and he way. had yell- and he had plastic tabs on every page exp- with special notes, and it was all it was like this incredibly coded, almost almost, almost like a form of musical dictation that he had come up with for comedy. You know, I'd love, I wish I still had some of, I'd stolen his scripts <laughs> just so I could show it to people. It was incredibly, you know, detailed. Comedy is is changing, um, especially with. I'm going to get a little deep here, but with with social media, right? Yeah. Do you think that ensemble comedy like Saturday Night Live that's been around for so long, I mean, it's not what it used to be. Do you think that, you know, comedians are now going on their own path with the help of social media to promote themselves or uh, is it Well, definitely it's changed. I mean, going starting with YouTube, I mean, that that became the 
Was that the first kind of thing? That... Well, that be, yeah, it became the new way to break in. You know, it used to be what we did. You, you got together and you worked clubs and you did live shows and you tried to build a reputation and build your, your you know, live performance skills. You know, and because even like you didn't make, no one made short films because no one had the equipment. I mean, the first video cameras were coming out when we were starting, but they were horrible. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they just looked grainy and terrible image quality. And so you couldn't really do anything with them. And shooting on film was just, you know, prohibitive. So, uh, you know, the suddenly having, like, digital cameras that you could, you know... Just upload instantly to the world. Yeah. And with your phone now, you can, yeah. you can make a feature-length film. Yeah, well, well, Steven Soderbergh just put out a film shot on iPhone, that, which is crazy, <laughs> you know? Actually insane. Yeah. I wonder if you had that battery case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, the trouble is that uh, in, in distribution... It's hard to get everyone to all gather around the phone. Sure. <laughs> so then, based on that, what, where do you think the state of comedy is right now? I mean, is it something that you're still excited about? or? Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty good. I mean, is it diluted? Is it... I don't know. I mean, first, I mean, SNL has stayed relevant. I mean, it, it has basically, in some ways, it has basically become this big slab of meat that gets carved up into sketches that then go out onto social media now. It's not consumed the way it used to be. I mean, I don't think people really consume it as a, a live event on Saturday nights as much as they used to. But then again, like, like in terms of comedy, like Key and Peele was like one of the most brilliant things I've ever seen in terms of sketch comedy. What is, what is Dave Foley up to these days? Uh, looking for work, uh, <laughs> as always, so, after Dr. Ken got canceled. you Dr. Ken, yeah. Yeah, so Dr. Ken got canceled. So, I mean, I've been working a lot over the year, but, uh, you know, looking for the next steady gig. Right. Um, do you have a... Do you have a dream of what that would be um not really a dream uh a nothing preferred is, path then nothing is uh something something that stays on the air that's a, that's that, a good that goal sense, that's yeah. a good goal for a gig not necessarily good <laughs> just there don't care about good anymore <laughs> anything i can ride through to retirement i'm i'm in what's what's fun for you right now I still like, you know, hanging out with funny people. That's still a nice perk of being a comedian. Mm -hmm. I like that. I still like doing stuff for the kids in the hall. That's fun. It's always, of course, it's always horribly frustrating, too. But the actual hanging out with the kids in the hall is always fun. <laughs> right, right. Like, they make me laugh still. Do you still go to comedy shows? Like, will you just go to the comedy store on a Thursday night just because? Uh, no. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds terrible. Oh, it's horrible. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I actually hardly ever go to comedy or watch it, really. Really? Yeah. No, if I'm watching, I li tend to like sort of sci-fi and fantasy stuff better. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is AskOffTrack. Or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram or Snapchat story. We're also taking emails at ask at offtrackpod.com and phone calls at 317-731-2372. If we like what you have to say, we'll mention it on the next show, so you better make it pretty good. Okay, we're going to go into something uh, we call the lightning round. It's a very, very right. misleading title. Good, yeah, good we say it's supposed yeah. to go fast. It never does. We need we're, to change, we're the, change name. the name. Yeah, yeah. lightning round... For a guy with a stammer, not a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is your kind of lightning round, because right. it's a very, very slow, slow bolt. All right. What is your favorite Monty Python bit? You know, it might be the, uh, the, the dinner with uh, death personified in Meaning of Life. 
Oh, that's oh, yeah. a great it might one. be my yeah. favorite. I mean, it's it's hard to say because I love so many of them. I mean, obviously, Dead Parrot and Dead Cheese, yeah, Dead Cheese Parrot Shop. Comes to mind. You know, uh, I also love the Fish Dance, and of course, uh, the Twit, the uh, the Twit of Twit of the Year, or whatever. What was it called? It was the big sports competition between English upper class English Twit of the Year competition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, love that. Okay, funniest TV show on today. Uh, funniest TV show on today. I really love. Uh, Last Man on Earth. Oh, is that yeah. good? I haven't, it's really I haven't seen good. It yet. It's really good, and it's actually bizarrely sweet. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, you, the characters are are strangely lovable, <laughs> uh, and it's a great show. And I got to say, this is controversial, but I got to say, I just watched the first three episodes of Roseanne, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's just a great sitcom. Yeah. Which it was. It was one of the best sitcoms. Uh, of all time for five years of its run, and then it was one of the worst of all time <laughs> for the remaining four years. But yeah, I used to I said Roseanne was the most uh, was a show like in the vein of of like the Honeymooners and All in the Family. Yeah, uh, you know, it was a great a great show about working class people, which I which was how I grew up. Right. So they remind the show, Roseanne reminds me of the world I grew up in. Right. Uh, do you have a favorite all time? Kids in the Hall sketch? Ah, uh, oh gosh, I don't know if I really do. Well, was the one you were particularly proud of? Well, I know you had more. It was more your like your idea. Like I wanted as you kind of your baby or anything. Oh, there, well, there's a lot of those, but because uh, but I mean, Kevin and I do. There's a sketch we've probably done more than any other sketch we've we've ever we ever wrote was a sketch called Citizen Kane, which I love. I love on a on a sort of a, a technical level as much as the comedy. I love just how it's very precisely written and it was written very fast. We wrote it in about as much time as it takes to perform it. <laughs> but but it was like it fell together really quickly and it builds beautifully and it's all about there's no jokes in it really. It's entirely about the rhythm between Kevin and myself. Who's the comedic actor right now that doesn't get enough respect, do you think? Or underrated. Underrated. I'd say well maybe maybe it's Will Forte. Maybe that's Yeah. Maybe yeah. That's the guy. That's yeah. a pretty solid answer. Yeah. I do really want to see that show now. Yeah. Yeah. I think we found our next he's, he's amazing. Yeah, and watch go back and watch uh, the McGruber movie. Oh, that is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I and, love that. And movie. that movie got no respect. Well, yes, I know. It was very underrated. So three three or four Oscar noms for McGruber. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they they did not get the response it deserved. Is there a difference between Canadian comedy and American comedy? Um, I don't know really, I don't think. I think there's different kinds of Canadian comedy and different kinds of American comedy and it's there's a lot of overlap. I mean, I what I've discovered is that like the Kids in the Hall fans are the same people in the US as they are in Canada. Right. It's the same sort of subsection of the population. You know, the people that didn't watch Air Farce. Right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> right. Which is actually all of America. So yeah. that's good. Yes. You've got a yes. big following. It's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think in America we got the same people who never watched Home Improvement. <laughs> you know. Okay, so something that we ask uh, every guest on the show, and we swear to not share it with anybody. Just All right, the people in this room—that's the beauty of podcasting and the internet. No one's listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is the fastest you've ever driven? The fastest I've ever—I'm uh, gonna guess probably 120 miles an hour. Okay, probably the fastest. Do you know what that was in? In my own BMW, uh, pro- I think driving uh, to Vegas. Oh, <laughs> were you late you to your? Couldn't wait to get there. Yeah. No, I just like to drive around 120 miles an hour. That's about my comfort level. That's my comfort speed. It's an efficient, efficient speed. 
Yeah. Not your top speed. That's just your comfort speed. Yeah, that's the comfort That's where you set the cruise at. Yeah. 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 Do, does, does cruise control work at that speed? Yeah. Really? Yep. On a, yeah, on a BMW. That should, that should be not they, yeah, a thing. They should, they should. Yeah. There should be some law where you can't do... It'll work all the way up to the counter stops. Yeah, really? It's a German car. Even Come if on. the car doesn't do 232, it'll go up there. Did you get all the speeding tickets? No, I've never gotten a speeding ticket. Ever? What? Never. Have you ever been pulled over? Yes. Well, last time I got pulled over, I was driving with my daughter up to San Francisco to meet up with her mom there, who was doing a show in, in San Francisco, so... Uh, we were driving up, and I was driving, not 120, but probably about 100 miles an hour on the freeway. And we got pulled over, and I got to impress my daughter because the cop uh, rolled down the window and went, Hey, you're Dave Foley! <laughs> oh, man, you just made my day! Oh, that's great. Hey, you know, you, you were going pretty fast, but I'll, I'll let you know on something. You know, in about the next 20 miles, the speed limit goes up to 75, so once you're up there, you, you know, you go 10 over that, you're fine. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. That's pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah. And my also daughter, another. my daughter went, "Oh, you are famous. Yeah, this is kind of cool." <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a story at school the next day. Yeah, I, think, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> he was there telling. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dave came in for show and tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said, "We have to start our crafts now." <laughs> <laughs> so at this point in the show, uh, we'll flip it over to Tim. Oh, final battle royale. Battle royale. Round one. Fight. So the premise of Battle Royale is I give you guys a group of uh, characters, whether they're real or fake, and uh, you have to imagine if they were in a massive brawl, a fight to the oh, death, okay. who would come out? Uh, okay. Who would come out ahead? Now you yourself. I being... thought it was going to be we just talk about how much better the Japanese Battle Royale was than Hunger Games. <laughs> <laughs> We That'd be another it. good nerd thing we to do. Watch. That'd mean, be another good nerd thing. That. Here's the problem with it: I've not, I haven't seen Hunger Games. Either have I, either have <laughs> so, I. But I can still take an opinion. Oh yeah. <laughs> First of all, totally, you're in America. Totally you don't rip-off. need to have facts on your side to have yeah. an opinion. This is what we do. Uh, oh, well, being yourself, you know, a legend of right. the Canadian comedy community, uh, the battle royale group of characters today is Canadian comedians. Ah, uh-huh, okay. Uh, so there are an awful lot of Canadian comedians. We're in this premise. They're yep. all together and they're they're fighting to the death. So you're our you're our uh, you're our guest. Now, obviously, you have to exclude yourself in this. Okay. But uh, you 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 can lead us off with who you think would win this fight. I am curious to know if you would choose yourself though, if you had the option as a winner. Uh, I would go surprisingly far. Okay. I would last on because I can I can take a beating. Uh, <laughs> You know, it's you're you're out way after Martin Short. Like you're, I'm out. Yeah, oh, I definitely. I could, I'd outlast Marty because oh, yeah. <laughs> Marty's not going to let his face get hurt. Yes, you know, Marty's too. You know, he's he looks too good for his age. <laughs> you know, Jim Carrey would probably do pretty well. All right, because uh, he's crazy. Yeah, yeah. that's you know, and he, and he's huge. He's a tall guy. He's a big guy. Big re- big wingspan. That's yeah. great in a fight. Yeah, it's got a lot, and a lot I think reach. he works out a lot too. Really? Because I think that's what a lot of comedians do uh, when they stop working. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know it started with Joe Piscopo. He was the first. Yeah. Uh, well, yes, we've learned about Joe Piscopo yeah. and his muscles. Yeah, and uh, you know, you know, I well, no, he's not Canadian, uh, but uh, Brent Butt. For real Canadians, he's not famous down here, but in Canada, he's huge. He had a show so called he... uh, uh, called Corner Gas, Corner Gas in Canada. He was when we were all young. He was considered the strongest man in comedy. 
like okay. all across North America. Like North really? American comics would come up to Canada. They'd do shows. They'd hear it. They'd go, I hear Brent, I, Brent, I hear you're the strongest man of comedy. And <laughs> they would arm wrestle. They would all arm wrestle. And he would, he would win. Oh, I've, been, I've watched him arm wrestle everyone, and he wins. He all seems right. like he could be one of those, like he grew up on a farm. It's like that farmer yeah. strength. His he doesn't look Saskatchewan. traditionally strong. No, but he's like, but he's a he's neck, beefy his, guy. He's his head strong. is huge, as you know. Yes. And his neck has had to become incredibly strong to support that head. <laughs> yes, and then neck just strength builds is from what there. makes you survive. Neck yeah. strength, so all, that's oh, yeah. where the fight, yeah, that's where the fight's won or lost yeah. Yeah. in the neck. All right. <laughs> so wait, so are you going with Jim Carrey or Brent Butt? Uh, you know what? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I think I'm going to have to still go with Brent Butt. All right, okay. Brent Butt. I'll say Brent Butt. I think you'll take everyone. All right. Captain James T. Kirk. You're going with William Shatner. I am. First of all, do we consider him comedy? And, uh, what, uh, no. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm going to go on the record, no. <laughs> he has done comedy. Not intentionally. He no, has done comedy. Say, we've laughed. And he can do co- He's got good timing. He has a, he has a comedy so, album, so but he does not qualify, qualify him as a Well, he doesn't do stand He's an actor. He oh. yeah. He's an actor. Yeah, not a comedian. Yeah. He's never generated anything funny. <laughs> oh, you're saying it's been provided for Yeah. Him. Yeah, he's an actor. Oh, well, yeah. then, I'm done. Gonna all right, let's jump all flames. Okay, yeah. so and he's made of pudding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going between yeah. two, and you touched on one, so I'm going to step away from it, but for similar reasons. I was Jim Carrey was one of the two because yeah. he's crazy. Yeah, right. You just you just can't trust a crazy guy in a fight. No. you just don't know what they're going to do. Yeah, but someone that's I think actually physically bigger in stature, and I think slightly crazier, but in a different way, but still very crazy. Mm-hmm. Norm Macdonald. Norm? Uh, I think Norm Macdonald could just be that right kind of crazy where if put in a situation where it was life he or is, death. He is crazy, but I think he's a little frail. Yeah, and so? he's, he's like, I'm going to go ride a train for no reason crazy. Yeah. Like, Jim Carrey's like, other kind I'll of I'll stab yeah. you yeah. crazy. Yeah. Jim, because Jim will get into the character of a guy that can kill you. Yeah. Great point. And not get out of it. <laughs> Years. He'll just inhabit Charles yeah. Manson. Yeah, he'll do time. <laughs> you know, okay, so I'm gonna go with Jim Carrey. Character. I feel yeah. like you guys are selling me an answer. So. Yeah, I'll Norm. go with Jim Carrey based on I was that was between the two. Yeah, but you said Jim Carrey, so I, I was gonna go with Norm. But you've talked me into yeah. Jim Carrey. If it was who would gamble away a fortune, Norm, hands down. <laughs> <laughs> He's already won that one. Yeah, over and over, yeah. over and over. <laughs> well, I mean, and unless Alex, you want to fill somebody else in. I mean, I could is because you're Rogan considered. Yeah, yeah. He's Canadian. Canadian. He's he a comedian. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Not sure he would do anything in a fight but just smoke weed. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't strike me as like... But he wouldn't feel anything. He would be the most relaxed. Yeah. I think... You know what? There's a strategy here. He would actually sit in the corner. You'd think he was dead already and you wouldn't kill him and then he'd be the last guy left. His pain threshold has got to be through the roof. Yeah, he can't feel... Okay, so let's let's say he like finds a way, he sits in the corner, he gets down, Jim Carrey's like, or Brent, but the last one left... I just don't. I, I could see him taking the pain. I could see him being chill, but I don't see him beating either of those. No, I agree. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, right. I agree. All so right, who's so the winner? I think I think I'm I'm going with Jim Carrey. Yes. I think Jim Carrey. All Carey's, right, but yeah. we will put Sorry. this on our Twitter. We're going to put a poll uh, on Twitter. At our handles ask off track, so you can vote. You can chime in, see if you agree with me or not. Um, most but, people don't in general. Like most topics. They don't agree with you. Like oh, they, like in life, yeah. yeah, no, yeah no, but like, so far, I've, the, the Twitter polls don't really have agree gone with you with being me. on the. Sh- the sh- <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't. Yeah, yeah, that's just you too. Well, guys, with that, uh, I'm going to take that victory in battle royale. I'm pretty sure I'm doing well on this. If we were keeping like a, we're not. But I got an assist, right? 
Yeah. yeah. Dave Foley gets the assist on this one. I'll take the win. Dave. I'm, I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. You're not no. killing it. No. You had, you had one or two well, good William ones. Shatner. Yeah, that was, that was yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. It's like you weren't even trying. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not mad at you. I'm just disappointed. Yeah. yeah. It's like it was the only Canadian you knew. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely it's like the case. It was William that's, Shatner that or, is... or Neil Young. <laughs> he doesn't like, know who Neil Young is. <laughs> it, it was 100% that was all. So, on that note, thank you very much, Dave, for coming. It's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Thank you so much. Thank and you. we'll see you guys on the next episode of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. This has been Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. You can stay in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle is Ask Off Track, or you can take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your Instagram or Snapchat story. We're also taking emails at ask at offtrackpod.com and phone calls at 317-731-2372. If we like what you have to say, we'll mention it on the next show, so you better make it pretty good. We're also individually on Twitter at at Hinchtown and at Alexander Rossi. And if you want to, though we have no idea why you would, you can follow producer Thim at at the Tim Durham. It was such an honor to have a living legend in the comedy world, Mr. Dave Foley, join us. If you want to follow him, you can find him on Twitter, Dave S. Foley. Hopefully you enjoyed the interview as much as we enjoyed being a part of it. The music you heard on this episode was written by Ryan Dan of Holland Patton Public Library, and the show was produced by Chris Boniello and Jeff Umbro of the Podglomerate, as well as Thim himself, Tim Durham. Also, Peter Vincer, Matt Monreon, and Lucy Shen at CastBox. Off Track with Hinch and Rossi is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing and highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. The Podglomerate, a sonic universe. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.